When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. At center ice, it's Connor McDavid. He's got Darrell Walker, and he's got some room down the sidelines. McDavid to Everly, dishes off. What time? To the 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Eskimos. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Well, this, this is too good not to mention here off the top. I wasn't really planning on talking much about this game tonight, but this, this is actually hard to believe. I don't know if any of you follow this, but in Major League Soccer, Toronto and Montreal are playing in the East Final, so if it's a big deal if uh, you're a Canadian soccer fan that there's going to be a Canadian team in the MLS Final. It's one of those two-game total goal things. And uh, they moved the Montreal game to Olympic Stadium so they could get more fans. Well, just now, the start of the match is delayed because they incorrectly painted the goal area lines on the field. So the game is delayed, so they have to repaint the lines. I mean, I know the the Ottawa and Eskimos game on the weekend, they had to do some stuff with the lines because it was snowing and they got scraped off. But this is a game they knew was going to be there for weeks. And I guess it looks like they put the lines in the wrong place, so the box was the wrong dimensions. So they're now repainting the lines so they're in the right place. That is, uh, that's going to be on the blooper reel. Inside Sports on 630 Chep. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is 607. My name is Reed Wilkins. And when I have a listener who calls in before the show has even started, well, then I'll, I'll change up what I was going to do and welcome Dave to the show because clearly there is something he can't wait to get out of his brain and out of the airwaves. Hi, Dave. Hey, my point is, uh, you guys are always ragging that, you know, Eberle and Nugent, you know, they're not scoring, but McDavid and, you know, Secker and some other people are. You know, it shouldn't really matter as long as they're winning. Isn't that the point? It's still a team game. Yes, who's, uh, I wasn't picking on Eberle for not scoring, Dave. Who was no, doing that? I, yes, you were. So was Rob. They're saying, now, oh, like, uh, it'd be nice if Eberle and, and Nugent got a goal, and then, you know, it wouldn't have hurt if Nugent just got one, too. Well, not everybody can score all the time. Yes, I was making that exact point last night because people were mad at Everly. I was making the exact point you're making. Yeah, okay. Anyway, have a good night. Yeah, okay, Dave. Okay, bye. God. Well, I'm glad he got that off his chest. Thanks, Dave. Uh, you can call 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. Okay, so uh, we, the big news today, Brent Burns signing that big contract extension with the San Jose Sharks. He will not be a free agent on July 1st. An eight-year extension, $64 million. So $8 million per season for a cap hit. He will make $10 million a year in the first four 
years of the contract, then seven and a half in year five, then six and a half, and uh, then five million dollars a year in actual money for the last two years of the deal. But it's eight billion dollars a year for a cap it. We'll talk more about this with Kelly Rudy. He's going to join us uh, in a few minutes, and Dan Brusanowski out of San Jose as we move along tonight. I want to get to something from last night, and it's it's something uh, Corey Crawford said after the game. And it really struck me, and I, and I just want to share something here. In, in the summer, I had a conversation with a coach who, who coaches in the American Hockey League. And I was asking him about a couple of his players and what do they have to do to, to take the next step and all that kind of stuff. And he's, he talked a lot about not their ability or what they have to do on the ice. He talked a lot about their attitude. And he says, you know, the NHL, I can't use the exact expressions he used because they involve some language that I can't use on the radio. But he said the NHL is a league where you got to have the attitude, where you're going to step up and say, you know what, buddy? This, this, and this, whatever. I, I, you, you want my job or you want to beat me? Well, too bad. I can do this. I can step up. I can outplay you, I can outhit you, I can outtough you, I can outman you, whatever you want to call it. And he really stressed that this player, you know, it wasn't so much about his ability, it was about him carrying that attitude into every game. Now, I think if the Oilers are eventually going to become a good team, and I do think they are getting good, but I wouldn't call them a good team yet, that they have to have that attitude where they go out there thinking they're the big dog in the fight that they're the team to beat. They're the team who's going to push the other team around, who's going to get the lead, who's going to get the first goal. I mean, they looked like it last night against Chicago for the most part, but they're certainly not doing that consistently. But they went out there. They beat Chicago pretty bad. Let's face it, Corey Crawford had a, uh, had a, didn't have a good game in net. I mean, certainly a couple goals you can question. And then we played his post-game remarks after the show, and I thought to myself... Okay, he's probably going to be, uh, you know, maybe hanging his head and saying, well, I, I got to take the blame for this one and I got to be better and, and be very, uh, you know, humbled and stuff like this. Instead, you hear this from Corey Crawford. No, I don't take anything from this one. I mean, we created a few good chances, but uh, it's just one of those games where nothing was going right. Uh, everything they touched was going in and um, just felt like one of those games. I really got into that one. It was, it was a weird game. Um, I mean, obviously not great, but not too worried about that. So there, there you have a guy who just got lit up five nothing. He's not too worried about it. They got some breaks that went in. I don't take anything out of it. He's not sitting there moping about the game. I mean, sure he said, okay, I kind of got to be better, but it, it was a very almost. Uh, I mean, I edited around. There was a question in the middle there, but he was asked, "What do you What do you take out of it?" And and he 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 almost he almost said, "You know what? It was a weird game. This isn't on me. It was just a crazy vibe tonight." Don't look at old Corey Crawford. I'm the man in there. I play for the Chicago Blackhawks. You notice I got a couple Stanley Cup rings. You think one little piddly loss in the middle of November? is going to kill my season? It's going to make me start questioning myself? And that's who the Chicago Blackhawks are. And that's a big reason why they stay strong. Because they can deal with losses like that, and they can say to themselves, 
You know what? To heck with it. That's not us. Yeah, we got unlucky. We're not going to lose to these punk teams like the Oilers again. That's their attitude. Now, you can question the validity of it, but wouldn't you love to have a team like that that you cheer for? Maybe someday you will. We'll talk about this with Kelly Rudy when we get back. You can text 630-630. It's Inside Sports on 630-CHED. This is Cam Calvin. This is Alfred Clefbaum. This is Zach Cassian. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. This is Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers. Help bring Christmas to those who might otherwise go without. Please support 630-CHED, Sanders Anonymous. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight at 6.18 Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet, tomorrow, just a half-hour edition of the show. Then we have the Oilers and the Avalanche. 6.30 face-off show. The game will start at 8. Pleased to welcome back our regular contributor, former NHL goalie, now with the NHL on Rogers, Kelly Rudy. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Read yourself. I'm doing well, and it's you know what? It's an exciting day for Brent Burns. He's finally making Kelly Rudy money. <laughs> <laughs> And at 31 years old, so, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, in a good way for him. It's a real positive thing, and he's certainly earned it, but it just does seem like a lot of money when a guy's 31 years old for eight years. Um, but that's the way the new NHL, and you have to accept it. It's no surprise. He, he wouldn't sign, and he'd be a free agent to July 1st, and he'd make the same amount of money elsewhere. So the teams are kind of stuck in a, a position that I'm sure they don't like. I'm sure they're, they're fine paying him that money for the next four years, but after that, uh, I would expect that his game's going to be in some sort of decline. Well, uh, that's that's the question, right? And, and I dealt with that in the summer, and then people still ask about it with Milan Lucic, right? So he gets yeah. a, a seven-year deal from the Oilers, and people say, well, what's he going to be like in years six and seven? And my initial answer is, well, who cares? Because that's <laughs> so much can happen. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, underst- I understand that concern. Are you going to have a, a, a contract uh, around your neck? But, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. The, the top-end players have so much power when it comes to free agency, Kelly. Like, more more than ever before, even in a cap world, the top-end yeah. players still have so much power. But, you know, for Lucic, I know there are different players, and people will argue, well, that he has this, and Burns does this better, or whatever, or whichever player you want to compare him to. But at least at Lucic, you're getting a guy that's 28 years old. So when he signs that deal, he'll only be 35, which for most top-end guys... That's kind of when they start to decline. That's kind of my magic number. Now, some guys, you know, other guys have gone on to 40, like Yager and, and uh, Chris Chelios and a few others. But typically, that's where I think it's more reasonable to expect a guy's going to be declining. But say for Brent Burns, you're still going to have him for another four years after that, paying him a lot of money. So for the Oilers, I think that's a, a, a smart deal. It's at an age where it's, uh, I think, beneficial for both parties and you can at least easily swallow that one you know we we've talked stories about your retirement on this show before kelly and and you've told you've been candid about some of the the pain issues you had late in your career and i know you said when it was your last game you were almost relieved to leave the (laughs) leave the leave the gear in the stall i mean but but did you did you ever have a teammate who 
who got old fast, you know what I mean? I mean, maybe, maybe you don't want to say who it was, but certainly yeah, yeah. there must have been times where you were just like, oh, man, he usually came back so strong from the summer, and this year he just doesn't have the jump. Well, you know, I don't know if I have an, uh, one example of that, but, you know, I do have an example of how the game's changed dramatically. So if you were to go back to those uh, fantastic Islander teams that won four consecutive Stanley Cups, if you went through the list, a lot of those guys retired rather young in comparison to t- today's world. I don't know if it was because that was more the norm. They accepted it more readily. They they had like they were more involved in the community, so they had like a business opportunity to jump into, um, or the training was different, and so the body declined quicker. I don't know what the exact excuses or reasons, but you look at some of the guys um, like. Mike Bossy, I know he had a lot of back issues, that, so that's maybe a little separate one, but he retired at 30. Uh, I think Clark Gillies and Bob Bourne, John Tinelli, I think most of those guys retired in their early 30s, and you know they were incredible hockey players, but their game was in, I, I think I can say this safely, even though they're all my friends, their, the, the game, their game was in steep decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than Dennis Potvin, he could have played a lot longer. I, I'm not sure what age, but he was mid-30s or early 30s as well. But today's athlete, I think, certainly feels um, that they're capable of playing a lot longer than that. Uh, the money doesn't usually pollute many of these guys, and their their training's a lot better. So we're seeing guys not declining until ballpark 35 or so, and then some guys, they continue on to close to 40. And it, it's like a beautiful transition it's a beautiful thing to have watched over the years but um i i can't imagine what some of these guys will be like in another 20 years when the generations change again if, if they're going to really push it like gordy howe type numbers right. i'm exaggerating of course <laughs> <You're but right. laughs> you get my point yeah for sure kelly rudy former nhl goalie now with rogers joining us tonight inside sports on 630 chad kelly off the top of the show tonight i i shared a conversation i had with a minor league coach this past summer about you know sometimes what players have to do to take the step from the AHL to the NHL and it's not always physical a lot of it is that attitude where you're able to step on the ice saying you know what I'm pretty good you want my spot or you want to beat me then come take it from me tough guy you know what I mean like they they got to build themselves out and almost learn to have some swagger and to me, that's what was encouraging for the Oilers beating Chicago last night because Chicago clearly has that swagger. And I played that Corey Crawford clip at the start of the show where you know yep. he, he got bombed for five goals. A couple were questionable, but he's already thinking, I'm coming back next game. You're not getting rid of me. Well, that you have to be almost defiant when something bad happens or you're questioned or something. I've always used that word for a guy like Corey Crawford and going back even further, Chris Osgood was the, I thought just perfect in that role because you could question him. You could say, well, the wings win because they've got a great team and he only has to be average. I loved his attitude and he'd kind of get that one eyebrow that would furl up and he'd kind of look at you like you're an idiot. And, And the same with Corey Crawford and, and uh, Joel Quenville knows that with Crawford. He pushes his buttons because he knows he's going to get a reaction. Again, it's always a positive reaction. Like, yeah, you think you're that good a coach? I'll show you exactly who the star is on this team. It's a, it's a beautiful play, really, about 
the, the psychology of athletes and and virtually every guy at the NHL that plays any number of years has that and, and they they exhibit it in certain ways there's there's certainly a pecking order on every team but also when guys are trying to c- come up and take your your job that's when you really notice it where guys really dig in and it's yeah young guy hey rook you want to take my job here's what i'm going to do and here's how i'm going to play and so you get used to it while you're in the midst of it but it is really a cool dynamic to to watch and and like you saw it with Corey crawford but all these players they've earned that right and they they basically weeded out all through minor hockey and through whether it's junior university or college or and then in the minors they weeded out all the guys that were maybe at the same level talent-wise as them because they were mentally stronger, and that's why they have better and longer careers. Yeah, I, I love that discussion too because it's one of those many things that goes into being a great player and then a great team. And that's and that's to me, I, I mean, I think when people say to me, well, are the Oilers a good team? I say, no, I don't think so, but I think they're getting good, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I think of the yeah. five losses they had in a row, the one that disappointed me the most was the L.A. game because, Kelly, you and I both know still, you know, we still got to have a lot of respect for L.A., but they're not the same yeah. as they were two or three years ago. And I thought to myself, yeah. there is a game the Oilers could have come out in the first period and said, you know what? We're, we're going to be the big dogs tonight. We're going to show you. And they played a really passive period. So, you know, the better starts, obviously, against Dallas and, and Chicago. But I think if the Oilers do become, uh, like, a legitimately good team in the near future, then what those teams do, Kelly, is they go out and they they pound the weaker teams. Like, first 10 minutes, they send that message, no, not tonight. We know we're better, and we're going to remind you right from the opening faceoff. Yeah, there's there's plenty of examples every season where a team that has that great pride and winning spirit, they just will it to happen. You, you know, you look at the game film, you go, well, they, they didn't really do anything all that great. You know, they didn't, you know, they're not 10 times better than us. They just made it happen when when they needed to. And Jeff Carter is a great example of that. I mean, he's got world-class skill, but right now they really needed somebody to step up, and he has. I mean, he's carried their team. I even think that's exactly what Daryl Sutter said about him, that right now uh, he's doing it all for us. And, and that's what you need every once in a while, a special player to, to take control. And, and uh, I mean, you guys know it right in Edmonton. You have the best example of a guy that takes control, and that's McDavid. Just just an amazing hockey player to watch. I can't imagine what he's going to be like at, say, 25 when he matures off the ice, when he grows into his body and he understands the rigors of the game and, and just all the dynamics that he has to go through and all the different situations he's got to learn from. And, boy, he is going to be something in about six years. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Kelly, thanks for your time tonight. Of course, we'll do this again next week, man. Always great to have you on the show. My pleasure, Reid. Have a great day, bud. That is Kelly Rudy on Inside Sports. We'll update the scoreboard, talk a little bit more about the big Brent Burns deal, and you'll hear from Oilers head coach Todd McClellan when we get back. Drop off a new toy for 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous at any shopping center, Costco, Toys R Us, or Canadian Tire. Making Christmas dreams come true. 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. So this is classic tonight. 
And I didn't come up with this line. It's all over Twitter. I think Andy Petrillo said it on TV. They were literally watching paint dry before a soccer game. Now, I know some of you would prefer watching paint dry to watching the soccer, but here's what happened. Toronto-Montreal, MLS East Final, first game of two legs, and they moved the game to Olympic Stadium in Montreal, the big O, as we all know and love it, and they painted the penalty area too small. It was too narrow. So they come out to start the game, and it's wrong, so they, they had to repaint the lines and wait for them to dry. Now they're finally singing the national anthem about an hour late. It's crazy. I find it extremely funny, personally. Scoreboard update for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. NHL tonight, Bruins and Blues 2-2 late in the second period. Hurricanes lead Toronto 2-1 after two. After the first, Senators and Canadians, no score. Flyers up 1-0 on the Panthers early in the second period. Later start, Islanders and Ducks. You want the Islanders to win that one and keep the Ducks behind the Oilers in the Pacific Division. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's 636 some comments from Oilers practice today. Head coach Todd McClellan and Dan Rusinowski out of San Jose. But we have Steve on the open line, 780-496-0063. Hello, Steve. Hey, Reed. Hi. Yeah, I just wanted to tell you, excellent interview with Kelly Rudy. Just excellent, man. Brought back a lot of memories. I used to watch him play. Um, the other comment I wanted you to uh, give me some feedback on, I was out of town for a while, so I missed this uh, little mini slide of five games. And... Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they're still in first place, right? Yes, they're two up up on uh, Anaheim, L.A., and San Jose. A couple of those teams have a game in hand. Yeah, so I was listening to your post game there with Rob on the last uh, on the Chicago experience, which was uh, pleasantly shocking. <laughs> and um, I couldn't believe people are complaining about the Oilers this year. Like I don't understand this fan base, man. You know, I mean, I'm I uh, I've been watching ten years of McTavish and. Nikitin, which almost gave me a heart attack, and uh, and I'm thrilled with the team. So uh, I don't really understand the the fan base that's complaining. I think everything is coming up fantastic, and I'll just uh, listen to your comments off air. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, well, just uh, the 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 five game losing streak. I mean, I I didn't think they played horrible. This wasn't if they were getting dominated, but most nights they weren't good enough. Uh, I mean, sure, they had a lot of scoring chances, but the NHL is a league of, of finish and execution, not of try. I, I, I mean, if you didn't see the Dallas game, Steve, they, they scored on some scoring chances that, that weren't as good as ones they had, but it got them back in the win column. Uh, like I said to Kelly, the only period that really, really disappointed me over that losing streak was the first period against L.A., but the Oilers didn't start games well, right? I mean, they had seven games in a row. They got scored on first. They were able to win a couple of them. Now they've scored goals in the first three minutes. So, like I said, I, I don't, I'm not ready to call the Oilers a good team, but I think given the division, they, they can hang around and contend for a playoff spot. Um, clearly, they're, to me, closer to being a playoff team, and they're a lot deeper than they've been in recent years. Um, you know, as for people complaining... That's why I'm here. That's why Rob and I are here. That's why we do shows like this. I'm always willing to listen. I don't agree with everything everybody says, but uh, sometimes uh, I know that uh, I'm just a sounding board for people. You know what I should have done? If I could go back and relive my life, knowing that I was going to wind up in this job, I would have gotten a psychology degree from university. I'm serious. Just to under maybe better understand people's reactions, what sets them off, what makes them happy. 
um, because I, I know the Oilers had a five-game losing streak. They're not, they're not a perfect team, but I think it's going to be a fun year. I, I, for sure, there are going to be ups and downs, but I don't think it's going to be just mostly one big down like most of the last 10 years have been. I mean, it's not abnormal for a team to lose a few games in a row, right? I mean, even even Anaheim lost their first four games of the year. L.A. lost four in a row before beating Edmonton. Chicago has been shut out two of their last four games, right? So uh, it happens. I mean, it's good the Oilers have showed a little bit of ability to bounce back, and I think that they're capable of beating anybody uh, in any given game. I don't know if they're capable of beating everybody in the league in a seven-game series, but I think they're they're capable of, of beating anybody in a one-shot. Going to be harder against some teams than others. One guy who uh, has been a bit of a focal point for the Oilers is Chris Russell. They went 2-5 and five with him out of the lineup. He came, comes back. They win both their games. Here's head coach Todd McClellan. I don't think it's coincidence. I think he does bring uh, enough stability back there that uh, he has an impact on the outcome of games. And um, when we spoke about this last night. He, he has the ability to play with pace yet slow things down and make the, the right play. Uh, defends uh, quite well. Uh, provides a, a comfort level for his partner um, and for him as a pair. So he, he does a lot of things well. He's a very good penalty killer. See him on the power play a little bit. So, you know, you just don't, you can have up and coming star defensemen, uh, but until they really experience it for, you know, a good 300 games, they, they don't quite get there. And Rusty has that now, so you feel good with him. All right, so some uh, comments there from Todd McClellan on Chris Russell. Huge hit last night on Tyler Mott. That was nice to see an Oilers step up and do that. Hard, clean hit. And, uh, you know, I think Russell's, Russell's been fine. I mean, he's, he's done what he was supposed to do. I, I, I actually think he's probably contributed and been steadier than I thought he could be. And it shows you the value of adding experience. And... I know there's debate around him. And, and guys, if you listen, you know I don't get into all the advanced stats kind of stuff. For me, it's interesting. I don't think it's an, a, way, uh, a way to exclusively evaluate hockey. I think it can add a little bit of detail to the game sometimes, or some, it can be revealing about certain players in certain, certain situations. But I know when Chris Russell was signed, a lot of advanced stats, people said, well, he's not good for puck possession. He gives up too many shots in his own end, all that kind of stuff. Todd McClellan was uh, asked about that today. Eyeballs first, paper second. And, um, you know, the paper can confirm, uh, make you look in in certain areas for things. Uh, But it's eyeballs first. And um, we were using our eyeballs. We felt he would fit our team real well. And, um, he has to this point. We hope that his level of play um, maintains uh, or even gets better and that we can continue to have success with him. Um, you know, we'd love for him to be here for a long time if, if we can keep that up. All right. I don't know if Russell's going to wind up being here for a long time, but I love the way McClellan looked at eyeballs first, paper second. And that's the one thing that frustrates me as someone who talks about hockey a lot, where I don't know why it has to be where you're in one camp or the other where you're all stats or you're all observation. I think, and especially McClellan as a coach, put it best, he has to rely on his eyeballs the most. And he has to walk into a room of 20 guys and know that all 20 guys might like to be treated differently, might be motivated by different actions or words, and he has to 
communicate that or find a way to communicate them to the entire group where he's going to know that it's still going to affect each guy in a positive way. So, I mean, a coach is always going to say eyeballs first, and, and why wouldn't he? But he doesn't discredit other ways to analyze players, or he doesn't, dis, he doesn't refuse to acknowledge that there could be information that is valuable. I mean, it doesn't have, it's, it's like saying you, you like both pizza and steak, but you have to pick one. No, sometimes pizza is appropriate, sometimes steak is appropriate. For example, pizza for lunch every day, steak for supper every day. You could text 63630. Cal says, Howdy, Reed. I listened to Crawford's comments last night after the game, and from my observation, I think he didn't want, nor did he give the Oilers any credit whatsoever for the win, just blaming the loss totally on the Hawks' poor play and bad breaks around the net. Well, I have a little bit of advice for him. They'll play the Oilers many, many times in the future, and every time the Oilers beat the Blackhawks, whether he admits it or not, he will see that McDavid and the Oilers can play with any team in the NHL when they are on their game and they will get better and better as time goes. So, Mr. Crawford, you better get used to Connor McDavid and the new-look Oilers in your face every time you face them. That is a text from Cal, who's fired up and feeling confident about the Oilers tonight. Speaking about goaltending, the Oilers have had a pretty good one so far this season. Cam Talbot, I was wondering about Talbot. He's going to play a lot. I think he wants to play a lot. Most athletes do. It's, you know, he was dropping off a little bit, wasn't making as many saves into that losing streak. He got a night off from Gustafson, comes back really strong against Dallas and Chicago. So I asked Coach McClellan today, you know, you want to keep playing him when he's hot, but, you know, at some point you're going to have to give him a break because then he seems to come back even better if he gets a game off. He's been tremendous for us for for most of the year, and uh, he's allowed us to be confident and allowed us to make some mistakes, quite frankly, and been able to backstop us to, to a number of wins. Uh, we have to be cognizant of his uh, stamina and his ability to play. Um, but like I've said numerous times, uh, he'd play all 82 if you let him, and he believes he can. Um, it's just that we've got to look for signals of where maybe fatigue does come into play, and uh, Gus has to be ready to go in those in those situations or circumstances, um, day by day, nothing that's laid out monthly or, or uh, you know, a two-week period or anything like that. We just go day by day. All right, so no plan for Talbot. I wonder if he gets one of the Arizona games off, though. Maybe even the Sunday afternoon home game. We'll see. Uh, Kevin texting in. He goes, uh, I had steak pizza not long ago. Best thing ever. Propane Tang Hank says, just put steak on a pizza. Thanks, guys. And uh, Dave, who's a Kings fan, says, Reed, you need to stop hacking on the Kings. They are a power in the West, missing three big parts right now. Quick, Gabrick, and Kopitar. They are a better team than the Oilers, hands down, and has proven we can enter the playoffs in eighth spot and destroy the league. That's from Dave, who is a Kings fan. Well, look, Dave, look, I don't think I'm hacking on the Kings. I don't think they are as good as they've been in the past. I'm not saying they're bad, and I'm saying that that lineup the Oilers specifically faced that night in that game, I thought the Oilers should have been able to do better against it. Quite frankly, that's my opinion. If you don't agree with me, that's fine, but you're just acknowledging they're missing players. So by your very own argument, they're not as good without those players. So on that specific night, their lineup wasn't as strong, and I thought the Oilers should have been able to do better against it. 647, we'll go to San Jose to get an update on the Brent Burns contract when we get back.
I'm Mike Riley. I'm Chris Getzlaff. I'm Adarius Bowman. I'm JC Shirt of your Edmonton Eskimos. This season, please support 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. Big hockey news today. Brett Burns from the Sharks. Eight-year extension, $64 million. Dan Ruzanowski calls play-by-play for San Jose. Dan, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, uh, Reed. It's really uh, an interesting day in the history of the San Jose Sharks, isn't it? Well, I'll say, man, uh, it's going to make free agency perhaps a lot less fun <laughs> in about eight months But because uh, people are always talking, already talking about where Burns was going to go. What do, you, what do you think? I mean, I know he's been a Shark for, for a while, but a lot of guys can't wait to be become a free agent. What do you think uh, led to this being taken care of so soon here? Well, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's the environment that's been created here in San Jose for the players. I think it's uh, the fact that Brent Burns absolutely loves to play here, and he's the most popular guy in many respects on this team amongst the fan base. Uh, Silicon Valley is one of the best places to live, if not the best place to live in the world, and his family's happy here. But beyond that, uh, you've got a proactive general manager in Doug Wilson who's done this before with the top players, and uh, this is an unprecedented length of term, but it, it certainly is is something that the Sharks have always managed to do with great ownership, uh, supporting the, the, the management of the team to, to get the top players here and, and have them stay here. Give me a sense to, you know, whether it's fan reaction or things the team or Brent are saying or, or just your overall impressions. I mean, he's, he's 31, so this contract's almost going to take him to 40, and uh, we know the guys are in great shape, but there aren't a lot of guys who play as, as star players till the age of 38, 39, 40 anymore. How, how is the, the length of the deal being balanced out here? Well, of course, time will tell us to how that all goes, but this is a guy who takes absolute tip-top care of himself, and he wants to be the best at everything that he does. And so you have an attitude like that, and you have a commitment like that, and we've seen it with with Brent Burns since he's been a member of this team when he was acquired from Minnesota. Um, I, I think there's a, a strong body of work and a track record that, that, that certainly can be relied upon in terms of producing a deal like this. And so that, that I'm sure, was behind the thinking that, that the Sharks put together. Uh, how's he playing this year? I think he's playing really well. He's uh, he's Brent Burns. He's a guy that can change a game with just a flick of a stick, um, both defensively and offensively. And I, I don't think he gets credit for the defensive play that, that, that he has and he's brought to this team. He's really improved, and I think that, that, that playing with Paul Martin, a veteran, steady, capable player, has really been great for him these last couple of seasons, and I think it showed him a different perspective about playing defense. I think that the coaching staff has done a remarkable job with him. Pete DeBoer and Bob Bugner especially, both those two guys, uh, just uh, allowing him to unleash his creative side, but also understanding what's, what's important inside his own zone, and he just has embraced that, and I think he, uh, I think he shows that every time he's on the ice. Dan, it's not often we've spoken coming up to American Thanksgiving and have had San Jose behind the Oilers in the standings. In fact, the entire division behind the Oilers in the standings, though it's pretty crowded there with the top four spots. You know, I've been talking about the Pacific Division, and every team has kind of had an extended rough spell so far. The Oilers lost five in a row. I mean, Anaheim lost four in a row off the start. L.A. had a four-game winless skid. I thought San Jose had a couple of golden opportunities to jump into first place last week. They, you know, one of the games they wound up getting shut out in Carolina. So uh, it, it's it's shaping up to be already maybe a bit of an interesting division race, and I wonder just how you characterize the Sharks' uh, first 19 games here. Well, 
it's interesting because a lot of the games have not been against Pacific Division teams, so we don't have a real gauge for how that's going to shape out. And, of course, the majority of the games are within your own division. Uh, many of the Sharks games have been against the Eastern Conference, but against pretty good teams like Washington, like Tampa Bay, um, a team uh, like Florida, Pittsburgh, uh, Columbus. They beat them twice. So uh, I think that that part of that is, is a good test for the guys in terms of how they handle the rigors of travel and how they get things started and get into the real meat of the season, which we're starting to get into right now. Yeah, they're dealing with some injuries, too, as everybody is. That's the other thing we haven't mentioned. Every team has, has had to deal with a variety of bumps and bruises. So I, th- I think this early season has just been a, a standard test, but just basically a showcase for how close things are in the National Hockey League each and every day. All right. Well, big news for the Sharks today. Thanks for updating us on Brent Bird's Dan, and it's always great to talk to you. I know we'll see you when you're uh, in Edmonton. I'm just scanning the schedule, man. Still not... Uh Still not for a couple months, is that right? My well, goodness. we don't come to Edmonton until it gets cold, so we'll be there on January yeah. the 10th. <laughs> and so I'm expecting some nice balmy temperatures that'll uh, want me to yeah. search out for some nice uh, Ukrainian food someplace. But on the other side of it, we get you around Christmas time right here at SAP Center. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Thanks a lot, Dan. Dan Ruzanowski, play-by-play voice for the San Jose Sharks. Brent Burns, the extension, eight years, 64 million dollars. By the way, if you missed the Ryan Jesperson show today, Bob Cole was on the show. You can go back and listen to that on 630Ched.com. Tomorrow, 6.30 face-off show, 8 o'clock, puck drop, Oilers at Avalanche. Morley Scott has the Eskimos show up next, unfortunately, the last one of the season. Thanks to our studio producer, Kellen Kennedy. My name is Reed Wilkins. This has been Inside Sports on 630Ched. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.